Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. We are going to continue our series on the gift exchange. Last week, we talked about, we talked about what a gift really is what an exchange really is. And if you were here last week or if you heard the message, you may understand. I know for some of you, I kind of ruined, and I didn't mean to, you've told me I've ruined your whole gift exchange with your family. And I totally didn't mean to do that. I have to kind of put a disclaimer out there. Um, uh, As we go through this, this will make more sense. I'm not in any way suggesting that if part of your Christmas tradition is drawing names and giving each other gifts of equal value, that now you are doomed to an eternity without Jesus and, you know, you're messing up people for... No, 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 no. All I'm trying to illustrate is how differently we humans understand what gifts are compared to how remarkably amazing God gifts And by contrast, seeing how God um, does not gift by means of an exchange, he just simply gives his best. He gives his best first. He gives his best whether or not you deserve it, and we don't. Or if you earned it, and we haven't. Or if you can pay it back, which we can't. He just gives, and that's how he defines a gift. And it's a very different way of gifting than most of us understand because we live in a world that operates by exchange. And I don't want to suggest that there isn't some element of God that involves exchange. We're going to talk about that next week. But you will find out very quickly that God's rate of exchange is much different than other, any other exchange rate. The types of things you can turn into God and what you get back in return, it really doesn't look like he's getting a good end of the deal. But we're going to look at that next week. Today, we're going to look at two verses from the letter of Romans. I'm going to ask a question about Romans. And if you've been with me for a minute, I want to see if you can answer the question before I ask it. What do you think the answer is? To, this is like advanced jeopardy. Okay, this is like I'm giving, I, I not only want, the, I not only want like the, the question without the answer, I want it without even knowing what it is. What is the answer to the question you think I'm going to ask about Romans? Paul, there you go. I often ask who wrote the book that we're going to study today. Well, this isn't actually a book, it is, but in another sense, it's a letter. Paul wrote it, trick your question, who was he writing to? All Romans? Who? The church at Rome. Here's a cool fun fact about the letter of Romans. He never met these people. He wrote a letter to them before he met them and not as a response to a letter they wrote him, which is very unique. Most of Paul's letters were written to people that he knew or it was a response to a letter that a church sent him and he was answering their questions and sending a letter back to them in return. This is unique. This is a letter he wrote later in his life towards the end of his ministry. Now, we've been studying Acts together. That starts at the beginning of Paul's public ministry. And so we're going to kind of fast, and I said this in the morning service, like I, I, I was going to say fast forward, but none of us have VCRs or maybe a few of us do. So we're going to skip to like two hours into the movie of Paul's life towards the end. And here he writes a letter to a church in Italy to people he's never met, hoping 
that he will someday get to meet them. And he doesn't want to just show up a cold call on their door. He's kind of like, I need to introduce myself to you and help you become familiar with the gospel that I teach so that when I come to town, we can be mutually encouraged. And he also says, I actually, I have a dream to get all the way to Spain and get the gospel to Spain. And I think there could be a win-win situation for both of us. I could come to you and strengthen you with doctrine and teaching that the Holy Spirit's cultivated in my heart over my years in ministry that will help you be more effective in training, equipping, and reaching souls. And you can help me by providing for me a base of operations and some support to help me get all the way to Spain. It's unique in that there's probably a part of Paul's mind, and you can pick up on in his writing, there's sometimes he doubts, even in, as he's writing, if he ever will get there. He's very aware that people are, he, he's very aware of how he's going to die. He's also very aware that people are laying in wait at all times. In fact, he did eventually make it to Rome, didn't he? How did, how did he arrive? As what? As a prisoner. Yeah. Can you imagine him clinging? You know, and on the way there, the boat sinks. Can you imagine him just holding on to a piece of wreckage, just kicking with all his might, saying, I got to get to Rome? You know? So he writes this letter, and it's interesting. It's like the one letter we have from Paul where he had the liberty to not answer any question. He could just write out his whole doctrine. He could write out his whole message. He could be as thorough as he wants to be. So that's what we have in Romans. I could nerd out and spend the next 45 minutes and longer talking to you about Romans. But I want you to understand that next time you go into Romans, lift a little about that into your experience and reading. It'll bring some richness out to you. Um, there's a couple themes that you'll see Paul repeat over and over and over again in Romans, imagery, some different words and concepts that you'll see all through the book. Um, but I want to introduce or reintroduce two words to He wants us to understand what a wage is and what a gift is. And he brings that up a lot. So we're going to use two sections from Rome today, one from, Rome, from Romans, chapter, one from chapter four and one from chapter six. The one from chapter six, odds are there's going to be some of you that are pretty familiar with that one. Maybe the one from Romans 4 you're going to be less familiar with. Let me read the one from Romans 4 first. Paul writes this. When people work. And doesn't, don't those three words just light you up inside? Oh, when I work. Glory be. No. When people work, their wages are not what? A gift. Everybody say amen to that. Yeah. When I work, when you work, our wages are not a gift. They're not given to us out of the goodness of the heart of our employers. We earned that, right? When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. Yes, that's how economy works. But verse five, Paul says, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So Paul's already planting this thought in our mind and getting us to agree to something that just makes common sense to us. You go to work. In a lot of places I worked, it's not here because I'm salaried, but when I worked hourly, we, hourly, we had a literal time clock. I had a literal card with my name and social security number on. I would slide it into that thing, kajunk, put it back in the thing. Now they have more modern technology, but these things still exist. Um, and when you were done working, you clocked out and they would convert your hours worked, time, your agreed upon wage, and they would come up with 
your earnings, your wages, your paycheck. And Paul's just saying for 2,000 years, that's how it's been. Back when Paul wrote, he says, people go to work. Your wages are not a gift. You earned those. You deserve those. They are entitled to you. And we'll read in a second. And God holds your employer personally accountable to him to pay you your rightful wage. And if they don't, they will be judged by heaven's armies, says Malachi. So he holds that pretty seriously. But then he flips it and he says, there's also righteousness out there, but you cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. But there are some people who have received righteousness, not because of their work, not because of their resume, not because of all the good things they do, not because of how many TED Talks they've listened to or how much money they put in the offering, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So he returns to this theme. He's introducing gift wages, gift wages. He returns to this theme um, in Romans 6.23. Now, how many of you have ever heard a phrase called the Romans road? Have you heard about that? The Romans road is kind of a nickname that we in Christianity have given to three verses. You could basically say four, but three primary verses in the letter of Romans that walk us through what salvation, why salvation is necessary, what it really is, and how we receive it. And it starts with Romans 3.23. It starts there. It doesn't end there. You'll figure that out in a second. If it ended here, it'd be a very pessimistic, gloomy service. You know what Romans 3.23 says? For all have sinned and fallen short of what? Who has sinned? Who has fallen short? Okay, are you part of all? Okay, first service got this. Okay, well, you take your car in for an alignment because your car's out of alignment. The mechanic, and you all know how, you know, I'm, when it comes to mechanics, expert level right here. Total sarcasm, totally not. They're going to basically say, the computer's going to say, here is the, here's what perfect alignment looks like, and here is your car. And the mechanic's going to go under the, under the hood and make some adjustments. Probably won't even go under the hood. Just press a few buttons on their you know, iPad or whatever. But they'll make some adjustments to move your car into perfect alignment with the standard. Here's what they will not do. They will not go into their computer and move their computer out of alignment to match your car. They're not going to do that. Romans 3.23 says, the glory of God is the standard. And every single human being has fallen short and is out of alignment with that standard. And we are, the way we solve this problem is we don't take God and strip away the parts of him that are out of alignment with us so that he looks like us. We conform to him. He makes us like himself so that we are in complete alignment with God. All have sinned and are out of alignment with God. Now, that's pretty gloom and doom if that's the end of the story. But we have the second part of the Romans road, which is our passage for today. Romans 6.23. The wages, now that word should sound familiar now, right? The wages of sin is death. But on the other hand, the Free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what Paul's saying is this. 
We'll leave that there for a second. And then you say, well, so I have a choice. I can take my wages or I can receive the free gift. Now, I'm just going to tell you what I've done. I'll just full disclosure. Um, and this may shock some, and it shouldn't shock anybody. I've chosen, I'll receive the free gift. I would rather have that than my wages. I'll take the free gift. I have received the free gift. And you say, well, how did you get it? Well, that's where Romans 10, 9, and 10 come in. Um, and you know what Romans 10 and 9? If you, what, confess with your, that Jesus is, and believe in your, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the Romans road. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the reality is we deserve death. But God offers a free gift of eternal life and you have a choice. Do you want your wages or do you want your gift? If you choose the gift, here's how you receive it. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you receive him. You receive him, okay? I want to make sure you understand two words that Paul wants to make sure you understand, wages and gifts. Let me give you a quick definition of both. A wage or wages is money paid by an employer to an employee in exchange for work. Does that make sense to you? Some of you are employers. Some of you are employees, but I know that it's important to us to have wages. How many of you appreciate wages? Okay, yes. Okay, we're, first service was like, Pastor, I feel like you're tricking me into something here. I'm not trying to trick you. <laughs> it is okay to appreciate your wages. It's okay to thank God for your wages. God cares about your wages. Amen? He cares about those things. He takes on himself as the dad responsibility for making sure each of us have enough wages to live, to give, to live, to save, to spend. He makes sure he's our God. Now, we argue over the definition of enough, and if you're stuck on that, go back a couple weeks ago and listen to that message, okay? We talk about how much, you know, we talk about enough and the suitcase and everything else. We'll talk about that later. That's what wages are. On the other hand, there is something else in addition to wages that's a concept we need to understand, and it's called a gift. A gift, and we talked about this a lot last week, is a thing that is willingly given, not contractually given, it is willingly given without merit. Merit means deservedness. It means it is given whether or not you deserve it. And it is given without any expectation of exchange. Now, I will tell you, um, around Christmas time, parents, we wrap things up and we buy things, or maybe in your house, they're brought from the North Pole. I don't want to interfere with any household theology here, okay? wherever it comes from. And as a parent, sometimes we run into tension because we want to say to our kids when they're acting up on December 6th, if you don't straighten up, I'm sending a text message to the North Pole and telling him not to bring your presents. Or if it's a different theology, you are not getting anything under the... I will take all those things, but I will send it back to Amazon. It is not. Now, I don't think any of you have ever done this probably, but maybe you were the child who this was threatened to. And what we're saying is you have to earn your gifts. Now, please, I again, 
I'm not trying to ruin the way you do discipline in your house. Some, listen, I understand sometimes you must defend the hill at all costs. I get it. Okay. All I'm suggesting to you is that you understand there is a difference between a reward or a prize and a gift. And I'm not saying that there's not occasions where we're going to connect someone's performance to their gift. All I want you to see is that God refuses to connect your performance to his gifts because our performance will never merit the gift. So he suspends that expectation and has created this new idea called a gift. That's where he says, I will just simply give my very best to you and you don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. There's no way you can repay it. Just receive it. Praise you, Jesus. Let's dig just a little bit deeper. Here's what the Bible teaches us about wages. Just a couple things. The Bible has a lot to say about wages. First thing is a wage. We read it. Wage is something you earn. You earn it. You work for it. It is something that becomes rightfully yours. We have all probably learned at some point what it's like to earn. For me, it happened at the tender age of 12. When I was 12 years old, um, you know, my dad thought it was wise for me to get a job. And I can tell those of you that are my age and older are like, of course. Those of you that are younger than me are like, what a terrible house you had to go up in. There was a term attached to that type of expectation that a 12-year-old would get a job when I grew up. The term was normal. And he taught me how to mow grass, cut a straight line, and then the church that he pastored agreed to hire me to cut their grass for a wage of $3 an hour, which at the time was a good wage. Now, it was, I think, 31 acres. Those of you who are in the first service, I said every time I tell the story, the yard gets bigger. It was a couple acres with a push mower, and it took me about seven hours to mow it all. And there were fruit trees on the property that dropped crab apples that yellow jackets got in in the summer. I earned my $3 an hour. I mean, that was a full Saturday till you factored in breaks and everything else. And when you're 12 and you go to school Monday through Friday and, you know, we were in church twice on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday, you know, a lot of my friends who came from very heathen households didn't have to work, right? But I did. And you know what? I wasn't always thrilled about getting up on Saturday morning and cutting grass until payday came. Come on, seven hours times $3 an hour, that was $21, that's wealth back in the 1850s when I grew up. That was like huge. And they taught me like when that $21 came in, they'd be like, all right, $2.10 goes over here. And I'm like, well, well, why? Like, well, that belongs to the Lord. I was like, well, says who? <laughs> the Lord. That's, two, that's four packs of 1987 Topps baseball cards down at the store. That belongs to the Lord. Okay. Can I tell you, if you can learn to be faithful with $2.10 and you get that in your heart, God can trust you with whatever your paycheck is, right? But it was built into my life at that point. The next 40% went in savings and that was going away for the future. And then the other 50% was for spending, which usually lasted about, you know, half an hour because I would run down to the store, I'd blow it all in baseball cards and I'd take those to school and resell them for more than I pay. I was hustling on the side, you know. I would buy big boxes of, of the blow pops. I'd buy the whole box. 
I'd get them for like a nickel piece. I'd sell them on the bus for a quarter until the bus driver shut it down. I had a good thing going. I was going to retire by the time I was 15. It was great. I learned about earning and I learned about wages. I don't know when you learned or where it was, but the Bible teaches you that it's just part of life and it's not evil. A wage is something you earn. You don't get a wage without earning it. That is a gift. If it's a wage, it is rightfully yours because you earned it, right? Number two, a wage is something you deserve, says the Bible. How many of you are satisfied with your wage right now? Your employer's not watching. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. Could be worse, could be better. It's all right. And, well, pastor, I know you said it has to be enough, but you know, there comes a place in life where you say, you know what, I deserve more. And usually the way you negotiate is you go to your employer and you say, I want more money for, and I'll double my work. No. <laughs> you say, I want more money for the same amount of work, right? But a wage is something you deserve. And I think we're a little hesitant to amen this, but can I show you the Bible? God says you deserve your wage. Show you two places, 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. I did not choose this. Let me just give a disclaimer. I did not choose this so that you're going to immediately want to double every pastor's salary. But I just went, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And they're like, pastor, we know this verse is in the Bible. And it just makes us cringe when you read it. I'm not, like, it's just, well, then go on to verse 18. For the scripture says, and I don't know why they choose this animal to represent those who preach and teach. Do not muzzle an ox. I guess, you know what, he could have chose some of the other animals in Scripture, um, you know, Balaam's situation. I'm glad he went with ox, right? He says, while it is treading out the grain. And now here we all can jump in. You can feel better about this part, maybe. And the worker deserves his wages. Can I tell you, you deserve the wage for your work. Because if your paycheck is short from what it's supposed to be, don't, doesn't this well up within you? Have you ever gotten a paycheck that was short from what it was supposed to be? None of you? Okay. Okay, think of somebody else. Have you ever been near somebody who got a paycheck that was shorter? How long does it take them to get to the HR office? A seconds, right? Let me ask the other question. Have you ever gotten a paycheck that was more than it was supposed to be? How quick did you get to the HR office to give it? No, you just say, thank you, Jesus. This is the way you've chosen to bless me, by giving me that which I did not deserve at the expense of my employer who has too much. <laughs> we deserve them. The Bible says you deserve them. Whatever work you do, there is a wage attached to it, and the Bible says you've earned it and you deserve it. Amen? All right, I'm going to flip it on you in a minute, so get ready. <laughs> The first service figured out where I was going way early, and they stopped amening and everything. <laughs> Third thing the Bible teaches me, God expects employers to pay the rightful wages of their employees. Did you know that? Did you know that God is watching those of you who are employers to make sure you don't get so greedy that you are keeping for yourself the rightful wages of your employees? Did you know that as an employee, if your employer is withholding your wages that they owe you, God holds them personally responsible? Let me read it to you from Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. This is Malachi repeating what God told him. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages 
And then he goes on. There's a couple other people that God has in his crosshairs, people who oppress widows and orphans, and uh uh-oh, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For people who live like that, don't fear me. He says, the Lord of heaven's armies. But at the top of this list, what was going on in Israel right at that time, there were employers who were out of greed, were withholding what they owed their employers. I want you to know that God holds your employer responsible to pay you right. Amen? So, you know, you put it all together. You know, we, we earn our wages. We deserve our wages. And God says employers have to pay employees their rightful wage. With that in mind, here's my question. What do you think Paul was getting at when he said the wages of sin is death? First of all, in that story, he's talking about workers, he's talking about employees, employers, and wages. In that phrase, who is he assuming the worker is? Every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. Who is the employer, so to speak, in that equation? God, okay, uh, you're, you're slower on the answers now. Okay. What is the wage? Death, permanent separation from the kingdom of God. No, no access to the kingdom of God here. No access to the kingdom of God in the afterlife. What is the work? Sin. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying every man, woman, and boy and girl makes their life work creating their own kingdom. Living life as they want to, based on what feels right or wrong to them. It is a kingdom without God as the king. They might bring in a few of God's principles. They might adopt a few of the things that sound good, but they're still the king. What they really want is a kingdom without God. That's their work. That's, by definition, sin. That's what sin is. Living life without any regard to God. Living life by your own view. Sin. And what he's saying is, there is a wage for that. If you invest a Follow with me. If you invest your life in building a kingdom without God as the king, what is the appropriate wage for that? An afterlife without God as the king. That's fair. The wage of sin is death. And if we say, well, let's factor that back into what Paul's already told us about wage. It means we earned it. We deserve it. And what third part? And if the employer doesn't pay it out on us, it means he's being unjust. In other words, God, by his own word, obligates himself to pay you the wage you have earned for the work that you've done. And essentially, it's Paul saying, God owes you an afterlife, which is the payoff for the investment of your here and now life. And if your here and now life wants to be one without a Lord other than you, an atmosphere other than God's kingdom, then it is right and just for God to give you a wage of an eternity without him. That's kind of heavy. 
So what does the Bible also tell us about gifts, on the other hand? Now, we talked about this a lot last week. I can move through this quicker. Here's what the Bible teaches us about gifts. Number one, a gift cannot be earned. You can't earn it. You cannot. It is given freely. Now, let me tip you off about this. If you want to... Re- I, I can't. I've got to save that for the next point. But it cannot be earned. You can't earn it. It is only given freely. Secondly, a gift is not given based on merit or deservedness. There's no place we come to where we say, God, you owe me eternal life because I've been paying the rent. I've been delivering the mail. I've been mowing the grass. I've been paying my rent. I've been doing all these other kinds of things. A gift cannot be given based on merit or deservedness. In other words, if you want to receive the gift God has, you have to stop trying to earn it. Stop it. When I ask people, are you saved? And they say yes. The next question tips me off as to where you're at. How do you know you're saved? One person starts telling me about all the things they've done to earn it. Well, I know I'm saved because, you know, I go to church and I serve. I'm in three growth groups. I've written four additional books of the Bible. I give, you know, I give all of my income and my neighbor's income to the Lord every year. I've traveled to several planets evangelizing no one for Jesus. I, why wouldn't God let me in? That person's trying to earn it. They might, oh, I prayed the prayer. I did the this. I did the this. The other person, you say, well, how do you know you're saved? I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've turned from my sins, and I know he lives in me. I've received him into my life. I'm a new person. That person understands I, didn't, I couldn't earn it. I received something that was given to me. They understand we don't. You know, those things don't play in it. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Move on. Number three, a gift is only effective once it's received. You could come to me after this morning service and say to me, Phil, I am in dire straits. If I don't have $200 by tomorrow, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be evicted from our apartment. Can I, you know, is there anything you can do for me? I can say, yeah, hold on. You know, let's, let's get you a check. Can we cut you a check for $200? You can say, thank you so much. And you fold up that check and you put it in your pocket and you just go home. You're so thankful. Next day comes, you've got that check sitting out in your dresser and you just look at it. You're like, man, it's awesome that I have this check. The next day comes, you look at your dresser again. Oh, I'm so thankful I have this check. Next day comes, knock at your door, you're evicted. You know the problem? You were given a gift, but you never received it. That gift does you nothing until you cash that check, until you deposit that check. I know a lot of people who say, I need a gift from God, and they find a million reasons not to receive it. You find a million reasons to disqualify yourself. You find a million additional disclaimers to try and put on. And God is saying, here is my free gift. And you're like, I don't deserve it. I can't. And he's like, agreed. Just take it. Oh, but I can't. Well, maybe I'll just... I'll just kind of carry that idea around with me and know that it's there if I need it. But my life is no different. It's because you haven't received it. I talked to someone after this morning service, young lady who's been in this church for just a few months. I know her family well. Spent some time making inroads. I gave an invitation at the end of this morning service to receive this free gift. Led everybody in a prayer. I said, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to just lift your hand real quick, make eye contact with Her hand shot straight up. She looked at me, and I'm telling you, I can hardly see anything past these. I can't see past Connie just because of the lights off of my, you know, balding head. And imagine, imagine the glare that you're having to look at every week, right? 
She was sitting two-thirds of the way. I could see her face because in my eyes, I'm not trying to, it was glowing. I couldn't see her face the whole service. When she raised her hand, there was light radiating off. I talked to her after. She came up to me afterwards, she and her husband. And she's a pretty tough individual. And I said, tell me what that meant to you today. What was going on? I said, I know a little bit of your journey. And she looked at her husband and said, tell him, tell him. And she, it just all kind of came out. And she's like, I have really been digging in to knowing Jesus over these last few weeks. And there's some things in my life that have not snapped into order. And I know that I've just been carrying him around and I've never truly received him. And today, I just, I received him. And she's like, and in her line of work, there's no tears. And she, I could tell she was embarrassed. As soon as that tear would, she would try and wipe it. They couldn't stop flowing and she couldn't stop smiling. She's like, this is weird. She's like, there's tears coming in. I'm smiling. Is something wrong? I was like, no, this is, this is it's normal Christianity, or at least Pentecost, maybe. I'm not sure if it is. If it's in there somewhere. She received. Do you remember when you received? You understand what I'm saying? It's only effective once it's received. Listen, if you just go to church and pay tithes and serve, and all you hear about every week is the things you need to do, this is pressure. It is misery because it's just added a whole bunch of other rules to your life to follow. And who wants that? I know some people who claim to be Christians who live like that. They're miserable because it's all about rules for them. They never received Jesus. They received a playbook, and they're trying to follow it. Receive him. Receive the gift. Don't just let it sit under the tree wrapped up and say, oh, isn't it so nice, all these gifts? I have opened them up and received them. Receive them. Well, okay, pastor, I'm in. How do I receive it? I'll tell you. First, you have to stop trying to earn it. Stop it. Stop trying to earn it. Just stop it. Knock it off. Stop listing all the reasons why you should and why you shouldn't. Shred that argument. Stop trying to earn God's love. Just receive it. He will never love you more. He will never love you less. No matter how much you think he loves you, you are wrong. He loves you more. Just stop trying to understand. Just receive it. Receive it. Just receive it. He wants to love you. He wants to love you. You have to accept, though, that you don't deserve it. Well, I, you know, I'm saved because I'm kind of better off than some other people. No, 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 no. That means you think you deserve it because you're of a different class of people. Jesus tells a story about a very wealthy, righteous person and, uh, you know, a, a pretty lousy white-collar criminal of a tax collector that both go into the temple to pray. And the very religious, learned Pharisee says, God, I thank you so much that I'm not like him. Now, how prideful do you have to be to say that within earshot? You might already think that about different people, but for you to be that brazen to say it in their hearing? And what's the tax collector say when he hears it? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, one of the two of them went away with their prayers heard. And it was the one who did not think he deserved anything. And the other one thought, God should, of course I deserve it. Don't fall into that trap. You want to receive salvation? Stop trying to earn it and understand you don't deserve it. And then finally, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ, surrender to his lordship and receive his gift of eternal life. This is hard for people to understand. I was sitting across the table with a man that I know loosely. I've known him for three years, Larry. 
I'm sitting across the table from Larry this past Friday. And we were trying to negotiate some kind of a business deal, and it wasn't making much progress. And so we kind of put it aside for a second. And he says, so, so Phil, I've known you for a couple years. What do you do? I go, oh, boy. <laughs> I was like, do I tell him that I, I lead a small local nonprofit organization? <laughs> I said, well, I'm a minister. Oh, well, that's interesting. I said, oh, boy, here we go. Um, he, says, he says, yeah, I think you mentioned that. A couple years ago when we met, he said, that, that, that's, that's cool, that's cool. He said, uh, yeah, I, uh, next thing out of his mouth, 21 years ago, I started my journey in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm like, well, how did we get there from that? And uh, he says, you know, I, I really struggled and uh, finally got to a point where I just needed to get some help. I was like, well, man, that's, that's awesome. He's like, I just celebrated 21 years sober. He's like, I was upset during... COVID because I didn't get my 20-year chip, which means something to those of us in the recovery community. Um, and I said, well, man, that's awesome. I was like, we actually just launched a recovery ministry at our church called Celebrate Recovery. He goes, oh, yeah, CR. I've got some, of, I've got some people in CR right now. So we talk some more and talk some more. And then he says this. He says, well, here's the thing. In AA, it's a faith-based thing, too. And I didn't I just let him talk. He said, and that was the hardest part of the whole process for me is putting my faith in a higher power because, you know, I want nothing to do with God. He said, I grew up in this area, and I went to parochial school. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I just want nothing to do with a God who's always angry at me. So he says, so I've just come to the place in AA where I've just figured this. If I stay clean and sober, and I try and do right by people, and I can sleep at night, then I'm good. Now, you know what that is? That's someone who says, I can earn my way into heaven. Now, the tragedy is, and I probed a little bit, and then, of course, (laughs) the door closed immediately. But I said, is it, I just said, Larry, you know, is it possible? Are you open to the possibility that maybe you got some inaccurate information about God from people who were maybe not good representatives of who he was to you? Well, I suppose anything that's possible, but, you know, I'm, you know, 61 years old and blah, 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 blah. And hey, where were we on this? I'm just like, okay, it's done. The window has closed. I'm not giving up on Larry. He just gave me something to be able to come back and help him in this journey. You understand? You understand? You believe in a God that's always angry at you. And that God doesn't exist. You, you, you're worshiping, you're, you're mad at an idol that doesn't exist. The good news is, is the real God isn't always angry at you, you know. And, uh, but here's a guy. That's what it sounds like for someone to say, you know what, uh, this idea and how it was presented to me, this gift, not stomachable for me. So I'm going to come up with my own way of earning through my recovery, through my generosity, through keeping my nose clean. And, you know, that wasn't the moment to be like, well, you know, Gary, those things are like filthy rags to the Lord, and that's really just a waste of your time. But that's not the moment to say that. Some of you are like, you missed it, Pastor. I would have known how to go in there and for the knockout blow. You got to sit in the, t- I'm on a different message now. You got to sit in that environment, having been prepared for it by the Holy Spirit, to be able to relax enough to let the Holy Spirit let you listen. See what's going on in this guy's heart. He will tell, <laughs> he was trying to sell me. And I'm like, and they always, I, used to be, I used to be a salesman, um, which I, every time I say that, people think, oh, and you're my pastor now, and you're just selling something different. No, 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 no. 
But they always teach you in sales, if you listen to a customer who really wants to buy, they'll tell you how to sell them. And I'm like, you've just told me how to get you closer to Jesus. You've told me how. I have to repair this one broken part of your idea about Jesus. And thank God he put me in this chair because I'll put in the work to do it. Right? Right? But it's only effective once it's received. And you receive it by stopping, stopping all this energy you put in trying to earn it. Stop trying to, you have to admit that you don't deserve it. And you really just have to put your faith in Jesus Christ, surrender his lordship, and give the gift of eternal life. But here is the problem. I'll, I'll end on this. Here's the problem. And we're going to bring our special guest up. We're going to have a good time talking about what to do with this. The problem that I see here is there's one part of this initial thing that's unresolved. What is God obligated to give to every worker? Their wages. So God is still obligated by his own word to give us the wage we deserve, which is what? Death. And so God is saying, I'm going to give you a gift of eternal life. And you're saying, wait a minute, but God, for you to be able to do that means you're not going to give me my wage of death. And if you don't give me the wage I deserve, then you're being an unjust employer. And you can't become unjust. So here's my question. How can God fully satisfy justice and mercy? How can he fully satisfy his own standard of saying every worker must get their wage and also I want to give you a free gift of eternal life? How can he satisfy both? You got it. Jesus on the cross. That's the only place where God could satisfy both justice and mercy. And you say, how? This way. Jesus exchanged his place in heaven to come to earth in order that he could get paid your wage. The only person who can get paid that wage is someone who hasn't earned that wage. The only person who can get paid that wage is your substitute. He's like, I'm going to step in and take, take everybody's wage as my payment. Well, how's he eligible? Well, somebody has to live in such a way that they never deserve that wage. Adam didn't do it. Eve didn't do it. Israel didn't do it. All the prophets didn't do it. None of the apostles did it. Only Jesus. He did it. He lived his whole life without sin. His life's work was all about being in complete alignment with the Father. And when he went to the cross, God said, I will pay out everybody's wage of death onto Jesus. I'm going to look at Phil's wage. He goes, I'm going to pay it in advance. I'm going to pay out that death. I'm going to put it on Jesus. And Jesus fully satisfied that penalty of death, that wage of death. For everybody, forever. Well, then how can God give me? Here's how. Because when you stand before the judge, God the Father, the prosecuting attorney, Satan's going to go to God the Father and say, here's all the charges against Phil. Here's everything he's ever done wrong. I've kept good records. And God says, yeah. And I'm going to be like, well, what do I say? Jesus, say something. And the defense attorney, Jesus, comes up. And he says, my client is guilty as charged. And I'm like, wait a minute, buddy. Like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, friend, WWJD guy. Hey, come here. Little bearded one. What, what do we do? He's like, no, you're guilty. Okay. 
He's like, uh, and then Jesus is going to say, well, uh, Your Honor, can we move to the sentencing phase? And I'm like, well, this is not going as planned. And the father says, uh, 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 son, is he with you? Oh, yes, father, he's with me. Okay, well, let me turn to the page. Um, and he says to Satan, he's like, well, I'm turning to all the pages where all these ac- accusations are. And uh, with Phil, there's, a lot, there's actually a couple books worth here. And uh, all I see is my son's blood all over those pages. And it says here, his wage has already been paid out. And then Satan gets frustrated. He's like, well, you know, give him death again. And he says, no, I am a just judge. I'm not going to double someone's penalty for that one offense. It's paid in full. And since Jesus took what I deserved, he can give me what I don't deserve. See? God can still be merciful because he's already paid out the wage. So he's been consistent. It's just someone else took my payment so I could receive someone's gift, you see. And that's really the choice Paul puts before all of us. Here's the choice. You have a choice between your wage or God's gift. You have a choice between death or eternal life. You can get what is fair or what is unfair. You can get what you deserve or what you don't deserve. You can try and pay it back, or you can receive something you could never pay back. You can get what you earned, or what you, or what you could never earn. That's our choice right in front of us. How much does Jesus love us to put that choice out there for us? How much must he love you? Because he died on the cross for you in your place, whether or not you would ever respond to his love whether or not you'd ever say thank you, whether or not you'd ever surrender to his lordship. He gave it to you and I before that we earned it and we can't and whether or not we deserve it and we don't and if whether or not we can pay it back and we can't. It's one thing to give gifts to people that you know it's gonna influence the relationship because you get, sometimes it's a different thing to give to somebody that type of extravagant gift knowing full well, I'm not getting anything back out of this. But I'm gonna give just the same to them as to the person who will be loyal to me for the rest of their life. How do you respond to someone who gifts you like that? Have you ever gotten a really unexpected gift from somebody and like you're almost filled with guilt right away? Like how do I, 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 why is that our response? Why is it the natural response? When you get a gift above and beyond your ability to repay or beyond your merit, why do we get uncomfortable? You feel guilty. You think like, I need to go out and get, I didn't even get them anything, oh my goodness. Isn't it the things that go through your mind sometimes? You know why it's so hard for people to receive God's love? Same reason. I don't deserve. I didn't earn. Therefore, I can't have. God says, you didn't deserve. You didn't earn. But you can have if you'll receive. How do you respond to a God like that? Yeah, I heard a couple things. Thanksgiving. Our worship. How about our loyalty? Our attention? 90 minutes a week we spend with our brothers and sisters about getting there on time. No, pastor, don't go that far. Okay. (laughs) It's not for me. It's for him. You know, there's another, God's son gives us another way, an additional way that we can respond to that kind of love. 
I want to show it to you. It's a simple statement. You've probably heard it. I'll give it to you again. You read that? Freely you have received. So, freely give. Now, how did you receive? What did you receive? I'll tell you. You received something that was costly, that broke the bank. You received something extravagant. You received something that was the best. You received it, whether, and you didn't deserve it, and you couldn't earn it, and you can't repay it. That's what we received. So how do we freely give? Giving freely like Jesus means, and this is our conclusion, becoming like Jesus looks like giving freely, radically, and extravagantly. And you're like, okay, pastor, I'm going to throw the rest of it on there. Regardless of whether or not you think the recipient earned it, deserves it, or could ever repay it. The world knows how to give the first half of that statement. God can flow through you to teach us how to give the full statement. I've shared with you that our church is going to be part of giving to some specific families in this area this Christmas. Whether or not we know them, whether or not they come to this church as a contingency for their gift receiving, because that's not a gift. That's bribery, essentially. That's an exchange. If you come to our church, we'll give you groceries, right? That's not how God gave to us. Whether or not we think they deserve it or whether or not they ever repay it, simply because we want to be a manifestation of God's limitless perfect love to all people. And so to that end, I have the privilege of uh, introducing one of our missionaries, Michael Hopkins. Michael, will you grab the microphone and come? Michael is with us today. He's based here in Baltimore. He's serving in the area of intercultural missions. He and his wife spent 18 years as missionaries in Italy. And recently, God redirected them here to Baltimore. And Michael and I kind of dreamed up this idea. I approached him and asked if we could partner with them this Christmas or we would provide some funds, we will give money to this ministry in order that he can take that money and, and bless some individual families that have moved into this area as refugees from another country. And so we are really making progress. So I invite him to come. First of all, Michael, thank you for being here for both services. Can you tell us just a little bit about, about your missionary journey, how you eventually ended up here in Baltimore and the kind of work you're doing with refugees? Okay. You spoke about Rome and the church at Rome. Uh, my wife and I, after pastoring churches in America and planting churches in the West, uh, we got a call of God uh, to Rome, Italy. And uh, as Assembly of God World Missionaries, we pastored an international church in the heart of Rome on one of the seven hills of Rome. And uh, on any given Sunday, there were 40 to 50 nationalities represented in that church from ambassadors and diplomats uh, all the way to refugees. Uh, we started a Bible school, refugee ministry, and helped to plant a number of ethnic churches uh, in all of Italy and international churches as well. And that international spirit, that intercultural uh, worship just got into our hearts. We'd have visitors who would come and visit our church on a Sunday, and they would just say, wow, this is like what heaven's going to be. Mm -hmm. All nations, all tribes, mm -hmm. all languages, all people groups. Yes. 
And, uh, and that's really in our heart. We love international people. So God called us to Baltimore along with our three grandchildren who live in Baltimore. So our grandchildren cooperated with God or God cooperated <laughs> with them. And uh, we didn't know how it was going to work out. We came to Baltimore and uh, started working with a city church that was feeding the hungry and the homeless and providing coats in the wintertime and tents and, and uh, sleeping bags. We did that. While we were uh, adjusting to the environment, the spiritual attitude of the city, and what we found out is that Baltimore has always had uh, an international flavor, a very, very international city and the ethnic neighborhoods that were popular even 100 years ago. And uh, at one time, uh, uh, when refugees were flowing out of Europe here about 120 years ago and landing at Ellis Island, they were also coming into Baltimore, so that Baltimore was called the Other Ellis Island. And so people from all over the world, especially Eastern, Western Europe, found Baltimore to be their home. And today that same thing is happening. And it's kind of interesting because as we look around, we see something that's very biblical. That is that God has sent us to the nations of the world. But now God has sent the nations of the world to our neighborhoods. Very much, yeah. And so you don't have to travel like we did 6,000 miles away or 10,000 miles. I used to tell people when we were raising funds to support our ministry, yeah, I'm raising money so I can live 6,000 miles away from my grandchildren. Mm. <laughs> uh, but the world is at our doorstep. And so my wife and I call our mission uh, here in the Baltimore area our mission next door. Yeah. Because that's yeah. really what's happening. So we started reaching out in the international community. Then we were invited uh, to uh, meet with some Syrian refugee families. Now, what is a refugee? A refugee is someone who is displaced because of civil war, uh, because of persecution, or some type of political upheaval or persecution. And so our government uh, vets these people, brings them in through our State Department, gives them document to live here, and gives them some help for a while. Uh, when we started working with them four years ago, they'd give them about a year's worth of rent uh, in a small apartment to settle in here uh, with the idea that one of these days they are on their own. Now they're only giving them about three months, so it's a very critical thing for these families. So we started working with Syrian refugee families, and uh, they all speak Arabic. I don't speak Arabic at all, but... You know, here's, here's the way we look at it. Love translates in yes, any does. language. Yes, it does. Real love. And we believe what, what Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love to us by sending his only son to die on a cross for us, that while we were yet sinners, sinners, he died for us. And so God demonstrated his love, and, and that spoke to our hearts. It says, love must be demonstrated. Yes, yes. And that's what we are. We're the body of Christ. We're the living reality of Jesus in the world today. Mm. So we must demonstrate that love. So we've kind of adopted these people, and they've kind of adopted us, and we've taken some other folks and developed them for this kind of ministry and, and volunteers who are say, hey, I, I'll go sit for a while and drink tea or coffee and, and cookies and get to know a refugee family. Uh, there's no expertise. Just love people and just want to be a friend. So we're working with uh, refugees from Myanmar. Terrible what's still going on there. People are starving in Myanmar right now. And they're Burmese people. 
And uh, last night we were with four families, uh, four families, four church families, uh, four congregations of Burmese Christians that have been developed in the Baltimore area that are now part of the Assemblies of God. And then next Sunday I'll be with a Congolese group that meets in a rented room in downtown Rome, and they are refugees from the Congo uh, uh, Civil War, which has been going on for some time. They, some of them speak French, some Swahili, and, uh, and they've ended up here in Baltimore. And so we're going to reach out to four families on your behalf to help them settle in and get things that they need for their family during the Christmas season. Can you tell us a little bit about those families? I know we don't need to hear, you know, we don't have to reveal their names, but just some of the practical needs that they have that are, that are, uh, monies are going to be going towards. I think that helps us understand the narrative a little bit better. We chose uh, two Syrian families and two Congolese families. Uh, the two Syrian families, uh, there are about, uh, f- let's see, there are four children in one family and there are five in another one. Mm. And the mother is pregnant with another child oh, coming wow. uh, in January. So when they get a car, they, they don't want a four-door car. They want a minivan, yeah. you know, because their families are big. These families just arrived here in September. They've been put into uh, an apartment building down in Moravia uh, because it's cheaper there. And um, they uh, have to register with local social services to try to get help. But they want to work. One of the fathers is working part-time. The other father is uh, disabled. They want to get their children into school. They need to learn language. So uh, one of the things they need is a television because for you and I, television may be entertainment, but for them, it's education. And there are ways to learn English, even on YouTube, and, and the kids start watching kids' television, and the parents learn, uh, and they just learn from watching TV. We did that when we went to Italy. Somebody said, watch kid programs, and then you'll learn how to speak Italian. And uh, uh, another thing they need is a microwave. They need uh, uh, kitchen utensils. Uh, they need blankets, uh, you know, uh, coats. For some of them, this is the first cold winter. Some, uh, these people from Syria have never seen snow before. Mm. And so they need snow boots for the kids. They need lots of things like that. And uh, so we, we want to help them and to show the love of Christ in this Christmas season. By the way, we also give them a parallel New Testament awesome. that's English and Arabic. And so we sit down and we say, okay, now we're going to tell you a little bit about our season of Christmas. So they want to know. We answer questions. And we say, by the way, in our Bible, in the Christmas story, your country, Syria, is mentioned. Wow. And, and we show them how. Yeah. Luke 2. And uh, in the Christmas story, when Quirinius was governor mm-hmm. of Syria. And where was Paul on the road to when, when he uh, was born again? Yep. It was met by Christ Syria. on the road to Damascus. And his favorite home church was Syria. Antioch of Syria. And so we explain those kinds of things to them. The other two uh, families are from Congo. And one of the families, I'm going to meet them next Sunday and uh, we're going to talk about some of their specific needs. But one of the families, the man and wife, are in their 60s. They have an 18-year-old son. And then there are three children on the list that are like uh, three, uh, five, and seven, I think they are. And those are probably grandchildren. Where are the parents? We don't know. But because of the Civil War, they're probably even either dead or uh, in prison. 
and these grandparents helped to get these kids out of the Congo and uh, to, to get them here. Some of them go to two or three countries uh, to UN installations before they finally make it to the United States. So those are the four families that we're going to help with that are most needy. And, and you know what I'm about to share, and some of you who are here last week know this. Uh, when I reached out to my, I've, God dealt with my heart October-ish um, about making a Christmas giving project this year to help specifically refugees. And at that point, I didn't have a strategy. And then I got connected with Michael, and I was like, I floated this idea to him, and we just, it was just a God connection. So I committed by faith to our church giving a minimum of $6,000. I'm going to take a check to him this week for that amount to begin with. And I want to invite you to jump in there. Anything above and beyond that, we'll just keep forwarding on. But we wanted him to have some sort of an idea. Sometimes when a church says they're going to help, we don't know if they mean $100 or $10,000. We wanted him to have an idea of what types of needs he could begin to meet. And so in just a moment, I'll tell you how you can. Some of you have already started giving. Thank you. But I'll tell you how we can give to that. One last thing, and this is definitely the next time we have you come back. I want you to teach us some more about this. Give us each one or two quick tips that we can use to be better neighbors to people in our neighborhoods who come from outside of the country. I think there's a lot of good intentions in our hearts, but, you know, I hear some, there's people who have fears or hesitations or just they don't know how to start bridging that gap if they have a Pakistani neighbor or someone from another country that doesn't speak the same language or maybe they practice Islam and there's all these different things. What are some things that God has taught you that you can share with us that will help us bridge that gap to our neighbors? Well, you know, one of the things that happens, I think, during the media and how we report things around the world is that I meet Americans who are afraid of Muslims. But what I'm learning from Muslims who are arriving here from the Middle East and other parts of the world is they're afraid of Christians because all of their lives they've been told that Christians hate Muslims and want to kill them. Hmm. And people think that about Muslims here in America. But they just want peace and safety. They want to be able to live in their home. They want to be able to work a job, a wage earner, and provide a living for their family, put, put food on the table, and, uh, and to en enjoy their life as they provide for their family. The same things that we want. Mm. And so uh, sometimes I find that people are a little afraid to reach out to the foreigners. I have Indian Sikhs that live next to me on one side and Peruvians on the other side. So I'm not going to learn Punjabi, but I'm trying to learn a little bit of Spanish. <laughs> uh, that's kind of tough at my age. I was, went to school where you did in the 1800s. Roommates, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I preached at your alma mater up the road Did there. you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Missions convention. Great. Awesome. We'll talk about it sometime. But... Uh, you know, somebody asked me one time, said, you know, so that there are these uh, Pakistani people, I think they are, they, they live in our neighborhood, they, they seem to be like nice people. Uh, you know, I, I think I waved once, but I, I never said anything. I don't know what to say to them. And I say, I'll tell you what to say. Oh, and they're like, okay, wow, he must know something in their language. And I say, just say hello. <laughs> one of my missionary colleagues has actually written a book called Just Say Hello. Hmm. It's not hard. Don't make it hard. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. say hello. And maybe it's a neighbor in your neighborhood. The Indian guy next to me, we share things from our gardens. He gives me all kinds of ideas. And then he comes over and rototills my vegetable garden up what? for me, to, you know, when I need to plant. Wow. It just starts with a conversation. I remember one of the Burmese ladies 
and she's a pastor's wife, and, and they're a lovely young couple, and they have a little two-year-old girl. And uh, when we first met with them, she said, you know, there are a lot of things that we need, and they really do. They're full-time in ministry, and they're really struggling in a, in a bad apartment. And, but, you know, they have such a good attitude. But she said, of all the things that we need, she said, most of all, I need an American friend. So this ministry is called Friends and Family. We just need to be friends. We're not experts in, in geography or the political setting from where they came around the world. We're just the people of God who just want to be the hands of Jesus reaching out yes. and just say, hello, my name is Michael. What's your name? And I've always found among the foreigners that there are two questions that get them going in conversation. Number one, ask them about their family. They love, everybody loves to talk about their family. You want to see pictures of my grandkids? Hey, you're at the top of my list. Yeah. I've got six and a seventh one coming next week. Yes. So we got a special Christmas gift arriving in a few yeah. days. And then to ask them about their country. Everybody likes to talk about where, where they're from. You know, I heard Pastor Phil talking this morning about being from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He's proud of that. It's a great place to live, isn't it? Yeah. So Usually, yeah. just start asking, and it's not a hard thing, so don't make it hard. Just say hello. That's awesome. My name is Michael. How are you? Nice to meet you. Thank you yeah. so much. We show your appreciation to Michael this morning. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. He also, uh, we're going to try to, if it's possible, to coordinate sometimes when we have the gifts together to take to the families um, to make, if you would like, to be able to volunteer to go along with, with Michael and the team to take the gifts to these families and get to meet them and just practice saying hello and talking with them. That would be wonderful, and we'll give you some more information about that as it comes want to make it very simple if you're ready to give this morning, and I realize not everybody carries cash and checks along, but if you, if you would like to give specifically to this project, you can just mark your gift, Christmas Project, and we will make sure that it gets there. If you, like my family does and many other families, give mostly online, go to our website, click on the Give button, and when you get into the, the place where the drop-down menus are and you can choose, there is a new option up there called Christmas Giving Project, and you can click on that and, and give your gift. And I realize this is an ask above and beyond. This is not the tithe. If, if the first 10% of your income is $100 a month, it's not about taking your tithe this month and giving it to the Christmas Project. No, that tithe is still holy and sacred to the Lord. This is an opportunity to give above and beyond based on what you want to do, what you're able to do, what you're willing to do. And so we've committed at least $6,000 uh, to this. And anything that comes in above and beyond that, I'm sure they will not mind going shopping again. I mean, you just think about it. What does it cost to furnish an apartment? What does it cost if you've never had winter before and you left your country with the clothes on your back and you get to Baltimore in November? You know, now you could be in Maine or Alaska, but you're in Baltimore. It's cold. And so we want to make sure that we are providing for these new brothers and sisters living among us in the name of Jesus, the basics that they need to be able to live. And so I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. So if you are willing and able, will you stand with me this morning? Keith and the team are returning. Our welcome team is getting ready to serve us by receiving our tithes and offering. Our prayer team is coming here to the altars. Um, I realize we're right up against time right now, so we're not going to, I'm not going to try and drag this out. I want to just do a couple things simultaneously. 
We have communion available. We have prayer team available. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. Once we sung through this song, one of our pastors is going to come and close the service. One thing that is huge, though, I do not want to miss out on an opportunity to encourage anybody who would like to receive that free gift today to receive that free gift today. And so one more time, will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're ready to receive the free gift of God this morning, we've already told you how to receive it. You bring your simple faith, simple repentance, and you put that in Jesus. I want you to join with one of our young ladies ladies this morning who is now in the kingdom of God. I want you to have that opportunity. So if you're ready to receive Jesus, you can talk to him right now. And here's what you can say. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I deserve death. I deserve separation from you. I recognize my only hope is to be forgiven. My only hope is for a gift. I am ready to receive that gift from you today. So Jesus, I confess that I believe in you. You're the Lord. You're the Son of God. You lived a sinless life. You died in my place as my substitute on the cross. You took my wage on you. But I also believe you rose from the dead. You fully satisfied that debt between me and your father. And when you did that, I believe your resurrection means you defeated death. And you said, if I put my faith in you, you can do the same thing for me. You can bring me from death to life. And so today I receive you. Spirit of God, I receive all of you. Come live in me and bring all of your power with you. Jesus, you are the Lord. I am not. I retire from being my own Lord. And I surrender to your leadership in my life. I choose this day to follow you. In your name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, We'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.